Hello, I'm Charu Kamaria. I'm a writer, journalist, speaker, and podcaster based in the southeastern United States. And I started this show after many years of working in newsrooms where stories of the day are boiled down to just a few minutes. I want to go more in depth, talk about the things that we all should be noticing and discussing, and help you understand what the story really is. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Story with Charu. Um, My guest today is Dr. Margaret Quinlan, who is an associate professor at UNC Charlotte, and she's also one of the authors of the book, You're Doing It Wrong, Mothering Media and Medical Expertise. Thank you so much um, for making some time for us today, Dr. Quinlan. Thank you, Saru. It's an honor to be invited. Well, I wanted to ask you, first off, why did you and your partner in writing this book decide to tackle this subject? So we um, both were sort of starting our own um, our own journeys towards motherhood. When we first met um, Bethany Johnson, who's a medical historian, she had just moved to Charlotte from um, the New York City area after Hurricane Sandy, and so Um, When she moved down here, she had lost everything in the hurricane, and her real estate agent lived across the street from me in Charlotte and, you know, thought that we would, you know, we would make good friends. And so she invited us over for dinner, and we hit it off right away and started, you know, talking about research ideas. And um, she, at the time, had been studying the history of twilight sleep, which was a concoction given to women um, in the early 90s started in the early 19th um, century that was supposed to take the pain of childbirth away, but instead it just erased um, your memory of child of child yeah. of the childbirth experience. And so she had been studying that from a historical perspective, and I study health communication. And, um, you know, I said, you know, really what you're interested in is the doctor-patient communication because it was women and doctors were talking in the newspapers about um about the procedure and about the um, about twilight sleep, and the women were trying to convince the doctors to do it, and the doctors were resistant. And these were like really strong, like feminists at the time um, who were advocating for for this. And so we began studying that together. Um, I joined in on her project, and I learned um, just through conversations. I was about to get married. That she was. Um, undergoing infertility treatment and had been oh, for a wow. couple of years. And so um, we took a trip to New York City to collect some data related to twilight sleep at, in Brooklyn, and we were in our hotel, and it was um, 7 in the morning, and she was in the shower, and she got a voicemail from um, her clinic in Charlotte saying that her eggs um, were not doing well and, you know, basically um, that you know, she was not going to have biological children because um, that was their last um, shot. They were not going to do treatment after that. And so that voicemail was left on her her machine and, or her, her phone, and um, it took her two hours to actually connect back with the, um, with the, with the embryologist um, because they were in the lab and the clinic didn't open until 9. And so um, 
at the end of that conversation, you know, obviously I said I was sorry, and I said that call should have never happened like that. And, you know, as somebody who studies communication, I'm like, there's, you know, got to be training or something for people to leave, you know, horrible news on your voicemail that ends with, have a great day, you know, after you've Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so by the time we got back from New York City, we had... Um, planned a study to study practitioner-patient communication related to infertility. Um, and I was pregnant at the time and, um, you know, going through my own um, different crises related to pregnancy and childbirth and um, and other parts. And so she miraculously got pregnant, quote-unquote, naturally. And, um, you know, sort of one chapter led to the next um, that, you know, was one medical crises um, related from um, preconception all the way through early toddler years. And so, um, you know, I realized that I was going to be on social media a lot during um, during those stages. And, you know, I thought, you know, this would be a great time to sort of use it to collect data about what other um, people interested in becoming parents or parents were, were going through. And so she's a medical historian and she really brought the... Um, historical research to light for me and we did a lot of data collection around around the history of some of these issues and um, it was really helpful to be going through a lot of the stages with her um, not only as a friend but a research partner because I would come across things and you know text her and say you know where did this start you know what why are people giving the same medical advice to to pregnant women or to um you know women in the postpartum stages and um and so it was really fun to you know, to be thinking about some of these ideas and, and also going through it. So basically you're number one experiencing, um, becoming a mother, both of you are, (laughs) but then also you're coming at this as academics and researchers in the observer role to kind of, um, you know, unpack all of it. And you were, you, you guys through your research learned that a lot of the same stuff is still going on. And the prevalence of social media, misinformation spreading like wildfire. It's, it's really just as bad, you know, as it, as it has been when it comes to women's health and, you know, mental health and also physical health when it comes to things like this. I think what, what we were surprised about, um, is how some of the same myths that were really popular in the 19th century were still on circulating social media today that we haven't even um, debunked them or even if we have debunked them with different scientific and you know medical information we um, we still you know say to women who are going through infertility that you know if you just relax you'll you'll get pregnant oh yeah yeah you know that is not true that you know we all know people who are very relaxed and can't get pregnant we also know very stressed people that that can and and so some of the same ideas you know we kept seeing over and over again and um and, you know, we wanted to bring light to some of those issues. You know, and beyond even infertility, um, there's a lot of wanting to shame women and mothers. It just seems like you can't make anybody happy, you know? And I, I you and I have kind of talked about this before. It, uh, If you breastfeed, you know, oh God, you know, how long are you going to do that? And where can you breastfeed without people reacting? Which is really an issue in this country. It's not really an issue in other countries that I visited. 
Um, and then if you don't breastfeed, oh my God, you know, what are you doing? And formula is so bad. And it's just like, um, it, it's, it is really prevalent now. I feel like the demands of being a mother are higher. Or I don't know. I mean, maybe we're just more aware. We're becoming cognizant. Men are getting more involved or your partner, you know, is getting more involved usually. What do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I think what really stands out to me is we just now have access to so many more voices that yeah. you can post a question about your child's rash um, in a mom's group on social media. And within minutes, you can hear from a lactation consultant, a pediatrician, a NICU nurse, you know, a mom of six, um, somebody who, you know, sells essential oils, you know. So yeah, we, just, yeah. we now have access to so many different um voices and so um it's you know how how do you figure out what camp to believe or what um you know what is the best option and you know people are pretty quick to have an opinion um within you know within seconds when without really understanding the full picture of what's happening in that person's life yeah and also taking it very personally if you don't take their advice like sometimes you know you're just trying to um, survey a lot of people maybe at one time or maybe you can't get to your pediatrician right away so you know um but yeah it's it's gotten it's exploded i guess on the same time at the by the the flip side of that token is that you can get if it's the right people responding some reassurances you know agree yeah yeah and what um you know what else sort of in writing the book did you guys uncover? Did anything surprise you? Like really surprise you? So, hmm, surprise, I think, I well, I didn't know much about baby loss. So, um, and sort of the history of how people grieve that um, loss that we talked a lot about how in the U.S. there's a long history of people taking um, images of their um, their their child who who they lost, you know, having a yes. professional photographer come in, and so that was a topic that I would say that when I first started um, started researching it had some some uncomfortable feelings about, you know, that I had yeah. that have lost um, children had posted on, on social media. And, um, you know, of course I would comment and, you know, um, you know, say something, but I, I think I just didn't understand that this wasn't necessarily a new thing that families are doing. And yeah. It, um, and it isn't to kind of put, put their loss in your face or, you know, that it's, um, that, you know, that families, want to be able to grieve publicly and it just um we have more access to some of these stories than we would have in yeah you know, in the 1900s and so so that's one topic that um that you know that surprised me I think I was also a little surprised about um the postpartum care in our country I think yeah. I didn't quite realize and I think even since the book has come out and I've had a second child um how you know how inadequate it is that you know we go and see the doctor at six weeks right well a lot happens in those oh god yes oh my god yeah you know we see how many times do we see the baby or the doctor before the baby's born right every yeah month every two weeks you know whatever that's so true you see the doctor at at six weeks and uh, most of the time you're just talking about 
birth control options, which just, it seems, you know, that's maybe not the best use of that time. Yeah, it's Um, probably, for most women, it might even be the furthest thing from your mind in that moment. I mean, I am surviving. I am literally trying to survive. in our research who had to lie in order for their doctor to see them earlier. And, um, and I, you know, I just think we we're really, we can't even say that we have postpartum care in our culture. It's just that six week checkup and, um, and, you know, so, so I think I, a lot of the, um, cultural issues that I just sort of assumed, Oh, that's, that's the way it is. But now I think I understand sort of the bigger, broader, picture of you know it's so much easier to blame the mother right than it is to change the you know change the system right it's so much easier to tell um pregnant women to stay away from toxins than it is for us to um change legislation about you know how we um how we um you, you know basically like um yeah, you know, what, with like our meat and you know, like right, all, right, you know. that and that that's putting all of it on. A, you're assuming in that case that a woman has the resources to you know ask those questions and make those decisions and have the money, the resources to get to places where she can buy food without toxins or use products. I mean, that's a lot of classist and right racist, um, assumptions in a lot of the information that we receive, and so that is something that I really learned um, throughout the different medical crises that we that we covered in the book. Yeah, what, um, you know, so much, I feel like maybe it's just me and maybe I'm just tuned into it, but I feel like we're talking so much lately about, um, uh, you know, like black maternal health or the lack yeah. of black maternal health is something that you're seeing a lot in the news, the um, tremendous losses that black women suffer, um, with, you know, at higher rates and kind of what's going on there. Um, it, there's just so much. I think this is like starting to really, we're really starting to look at this kind of thing. Is it getting better? Are we just talking about it more? Is it just you and I, cause we've got young kids, so we're focused on this kind of thing or what do you think? So do I think, um, yeah, like, is it getting better? Like, are we are we starting to talk about this stuff? You know, you, you mentioned, like, um, loss, infant loss. I, I myself yeah. have suffered a miscarriage. It is, I was shocked to learn that one in four women will have a miscarriage, yet we don't talk about it. We right. only see the success stories. And then, you know, yeah. even the success stories of having a healthy baby, we just see those, you know, there's this intense pressure to get back in shape and look perfect and everything's great. It's not, it wasn't for me, at least with my first one who was a bad sleeper. And uh-huh. then my, you know, the other thing I think, like, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is like, is it getting better? You know, cause I, I've also been close to somebody who lost an infant, um, very, you know, um, had trouble carrying and then lost, um, right before entering the third trimester. And, uh, you know, it's just so much, I don't know. I, it, it, it is more common than people want to talk about, or I don't know. I, so I'm just wondering, yeah, is it getting better? I just have access to a lot more of these stories that, you know, before, social media, you know, you just sort of talk to your, you know, your family or your neighbors. And, and now, you know, you can hear from people within, within minutes. And, you know, I think, you know, with hashtags and stuff, there's just a lot more awareness of some of the issues that people face. And so I think that's a really good thing that, you know, that people can find their, um, their, you know, people who are going through similar experiences with them or have, you know, similar diagnoses, you know, that people 
who yeah maggie you i'd know, love be able to have a support group together exactly um, is you know so now it's uh, you know it's that you're you're able to connect with with people in, in some very good ways. Yeah, and I love the fact that you did not use the word tribe because uh, I think that word gets thrown around a lot. Like my mom tribe, my this tribe, my that tribe. I have found it incredibly challenging to find that and to be to find a group of people that you can truly be vulnerable with and ask for help or ask for advice. You know what I'm saying? Not be judged, not mm-hmm. be criticized. Um, I don't know, it, you know, if I still really have that. I, do you? Did you find a lot of that also in your work and in your subsequent talks about the book? Um, that other people struggle. To yeah, find just just finding. To with. You know, I feel yeah, like I think people. So sh- from my perspective, are are are. It's so easy to get caught up in the perfect Instagram images that we see and how it looks like everybody has it together. And, um, that it's hard to not compare your life to that. Yeah. And and so, you know, I even have to do things to protect myself to, um, you know, to protect my heart from, you know, not, not falling into those, um, into those really dangerous traps. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think, you know, for me, I think it's better to, you know, to talk to the mom at the park who you know you've never met before and to ask her how she's really doing yeah um rather than to just you know get caught up in all the things that you think are other people's reality because chances are they're they're feeling a lot of the same things that you are yeah exactly and I think you know Brene Brown is famous for talking about vulnerability and courage and um the courage to be vulnerable and it's contagious like if you see one person um, stepping out and not, uh, you know, being ma. What's the word I'm looking for? Not falling into a trap of trying to show I'm perfect in every way, but showing really, yeah, I'm struggling too. It allows for more people to show up and say, yeah, I'm struggling, or I've had loss, or um, preg- you know, whatever it is. Even people saying, I don't want kids. You know, I, I'm so right. surprised that so many people will ask other women I don't know if they really ask men as much when are you going to have kids are you going to have kids like what is it to you can we not find something else to ask people about you know it's so crazy and you never know what somebody's going through so it's you know it is such a complicated um a complicated time in people's lives yeah what what you know we also in the U.S. especially like we don't have a space for people or especially women who regret being parents, right? That that's, you know, that's a very, not a very common, I don't think experience, but you know, it's, it's pretty taboo to say, you know, for a mom to admit that she regrets, you know, being a parent or doesn't want to be a parent anymore. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you should say that, um, because I think you're right. I, I think a lot of people do think that they just don't say it. Um, and sometimes it would be nice for someone to say like, look, this is honestly the hardest job you're ever going to do. It's the hardest thing. Even if you, you think you've got it all together. Um, it's hard, you know, and, um, it's okay to have those moments. Uh, my new thing is I keep telling my kids, you know how you institute a timeout based on age. I'll say, if I find myself really struggling, 
I'm lucky that now they're older so I can do this, but I'll say I'm putting myself in a timeout and I have to do it according to age. So guess what? That's going to be, that's going to be a while for me. And don't bother me because I'm in a timeout. I'm in trouble because I was snapping at you guys. Remember? And uh, just saying, yeah, it, I, it's worked a couple of times. I don't get quite my full age uh, timeout, but at least a little bit. Um, and also I think it kind of teaches, like a lot of us are trying to reparent ourselves and do things a little bit better and recognize like where, um, you know, in our family line, people might've failed and we could do things better, maybe because of their own situation at the time. And so in that, it's nice to show kids like I'm messing up and here's what I'm going to do to try to fix it. First off, I need a minute. So please give me a minute. But it, um, it, it is seriously, I think like the hardest job. And recently a friend told me that if someone really told you how hard it was, you wouldn't do it. Like nobody would do it you know? Right. And, you know, I think that even with childbirth, right? You know, yeah. when you think about people saying, you know, like, like they don't remember it. Well, our grandparents or, you know, a lot of white grandparents, especially, um, did not, um, you know, did not remember it. Cause they yeah, literally. Sleep, so. Yeah, it is. Uh, it- yeah, it's, you know, it is very interesting, the difference in the Western and Eastern world when it comes to that, because, um, as you know, you know, I grew up, um, I'm Indian, and I'm the first one born, you know, in this country, and all of the messages about that were radically different than things, you know, like, for example, the breastfeeding message. I mean, it was just, I remember my mom even saying to me, that she was surprised that they have classes on this, that it's so natural. Why would anybody need to teach you how to do it? And I'm like, this is a big thing here. Like people forgot, I guess, or they don't know how, or, you know, and also the whole, um, you know, in those cultures, there's a lot of support 40 days in India. They say you need 40 days of rest after birth. Um, and you know, yeah, 40 days. And I mean, now the, now the flip side of that is sometimes you have your mother-in-law come stay with you and a lot of women, not all, but a lot of women don't want that. But you know, there's a whole culture, there's a whole food group that they give, um, new moms and, you know, China has something similar. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. There, there's a lot of places to learn and grow for everybody probably. Right. Yeah. And what's next on the horizon for you academically in this subject? Are you working on anything? Um, uh, you know, or still talking and promoting the book? Or? Yeah, so we've done a lot of research about um, about how women use um, Instagram when going through infertility treatment and how um, medical expertise is shared um, on Instagram. So we have a couple articles about that um, that are sort of um, spinoffs of oh, that's the great. book that we've been um that, you know, that we're in the process of publishing. And so, um, so that's been really interesting to see, um, you know, how people who aren't even telling people in their everyday life about some of their struggles are sharing um, medications, they're sharing um, how to do shots, they're sharing, you know, doctors that they suggest and different um, procedures and, um, you know, how, how, how that happens on, on social media is, is, is something that really interests me. And so, um, so we've been, you know, writing about that since, since the book came out. Oh, that's fascinating. And, um, if anybody is interested in learning more about Dr. Quinlan's work, Dr. Johnson's work and, um, 
all of this, uh, if you'll go to my Instagram at the story with Charu, I will link um, you to all of that. And I'm going to also put this in the show notes. So the book and on Instagram, I'll have some lovely pictures of the Dr. Quinlan and um, you can check it out and check her workout. And uh, I really appreciate you making time for us, Maggie. This is so interesting. I mean, I feel like there's so much more that still we could talk about, you know? Yeah, I'd love to love to do this again. It was like having one of those talks, you know, at a park or something that you and I would have um, um, in the podcast format. So, so this was fun. Yeah, I loved it too. Well, we can do it again. Yeah, definitely. You're doing and the stories that you're sharing. It's so important. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for making time. And um, until next time, folks, I hope that you find something that makes your soul light and happy. You can support this show by subscribing it, liking it, and sharing it with others. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at the story with Charu. That's on Instagram. It's all lowercase, all one word at the story with Charu. That's where I post pictures of our guests. And I also have um, more fresh takes about current events that we really can't get to in a podcast format and sometimes just random things from around the globe or just everyday life. You can also find more information about me on my website, charukamaria.com. That's C-H-A-R-U-K-U-M-A-R-H-I-A dot com. Again, that's also one word. And until next time, I hope that you find something that makes your soul light and happy.